The Old Testament reading this morning is actually two chapters. The last two chapters of Ecclesiastes 11 and 12. Uh, I will read the first and then we'll take a little break. Uh, Perhaps we'll have tea and then we'll do chapter 12. This is the sermon text. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of that youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Thus chapter 11. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, And those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home 
and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bruce, for carrying out the task of reading all of the Ecclesiastes texts. I appreciate that. It's always good to have that consistency, and I love to hear you read. And by the way, remember those sermons we did on Genesis with like those 40-verse chapters? I mean, I think I remember reading those entire chapters for the uh, sermons. (laughs) Um, It's good to be with you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this, for the privilege of being able to gather each week with your people and to worship, to pray, to hear your word read and preached. Thank you for your spirit that works in us, and we pray that you would speak through me this morning. We pray that you would shape our hearts and that your word would do its work and not return void. We trust in that promise, and we trust in you, because we are weak. Thank you for being our strength. It's in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> There's a, um, a story that goes kind of pretty far back. Some of you may be familiar with it, but I thought it really connected with this, with this text uh, as we are going through Ecclesiastes. It's about this farmer who had... One horse. And this horse helped him on the, on the farm with all the farm work. One day that horse ran away. And the neighbors in the village all gathered around the farmer to lament with him and, 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 and to tell him how sorry they were for this terrible event that just happened. And the farmer calmly said, how do you know this is terrible? 
And a few weeks later, his horse ended up returning, but behind him came two beautiful wild horses. And now the farmer had three horses. And the, the, the neighbors were, were thrilled to hear this, and they came over and they were celebrating with the farmer what good fortune this is. And the farmer calmly said, how do you know this is good? And so, as he's breaking these wild horses, he has his son on one of them, breaking one of these wild horses, and that horse bucked him off, and the son broke his leg. Oh, the neighbors were so sad. And they came over to lament again and to support the farmer. What terrible news. What bad luck. The farmer said, how do you know this is bad? Well, a few weeks later, war broke out. And all of the able-bodied men in the village were sent off to war. Except, that's right, the farmer's son. Oh, this just made the neighbors so happy. And they rejoiced with the farmer. Isn't this wonderful? Your son is home with you. What good fortune. And the farmer said, how do you know this is good? So you see, this can go on. Because we have ideas of what's good and what's bad. We have ideas based on our perspective of what's good and what's bad, right? Now, of course, when there is loss and when there is time to celebrate, we do that. But we don't have the perspective that sees things where they're ultimately going. We grieve when it's time to grieve. We rejoice when it's time to rejoice. But do we really know what's happening in every event that occurs? Truth is, not all things appear to be what they seem at the moment. One of the music groups I was was, um, uh, introduced to by Christy when we were dating, she she introduced me to all these different groups I'd never heard of before. One of them was the Indigo Girls, and I... I, (laughs) Well, I wasn't expecting that, but that's... So the Indigo Girls, uh, um, I'll mention them next week, too. Um... They wrote a song that I really like listening to. It's called uh, um, uh, Least Complicated. And this verse stuck out as I was studying this passage. um, It goes like this. Some long ago when we were taught, for whatever kind of puzzle you got, you just stick the right formula in, a solution for every fool. I think that's how I was taught. That's how our culture teaches That we have a solution for everything. Think about it. We want financial success. We have the right formula. Just plug it in. Go read a book. Get on Audible. You want financial success? The formula is there. You want obedient children? There's a formula for that. There's a book for that. Just plug the right formula in and you'll have obedient children. You want a healthy, healthy life? There's a formula for that. Just do these things and you will have a healthy life. Fulfilling career, same thing. Now, although these, these formulas can have some good advice and can lead to some success, good guidelines, to believe that we could stand on those formulas alone, to believe that those things bring us meaning, bring us true success, and are perfect, is foolish. I've tried some of those things. They don't work. Not always. 
And the, and the preacher in Ecclesiastes, I believe, affirms the same thing. Think about what he did when he started off. Back, back, way back in chapter 1 and 2, the preacher, known as Kohelet in Hebrew, was certain that he could find satisfaction, that he could find meaning in life. He starts off by saying his conclusion, which was vanity of vanities, all things are vanity, all is vanity. But what did he do? He told about what he pursued. He told about the formulas that he tried to plug into his life. Think about wisdom. He pursued wisdom. He had great wisdom. Think about the people around him. Oh, you're so wise. You have such great wisdom. What a great blessing. Kohelet comes back and says, what makes you think it's so great? You know, the more wisdom brings more sorrow, he says. It brings more trouble. So he pursued pleasure. He pursued possessions. He pursued indulging. He had great houses, great buildings, servants, singers, great food, wine, all of these things. And imagine what the people around him told him. You're so blessed. You have so much Look at you. He says, really, you think this is good? It only gets passed on to someone else who will probably ruin it. Then he says, the wise man and the fool all have the same end. The wealthy and the poor all have the same end. He ends with his conclusion. The same conclusion that we get to is the same thing he started with. Vanity of vanity. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's missed. You can stand on none of it. You can grab on, but it doesn't hold you because it is mere chasing after the wind. Holding on to smoke. So what we learn, what we have learned throughout Ecclesiastes as we've been studying these chapters is life is unpredictable and God's ways are mysterious. And no matter what formula we put into our system, he reminds us in chapter 9, as Robert taught last week, that time and chance get the best of us all. Time and chance, and and chance can actually be translated accident. So time and, and accident or chance is going to overcome every one of us. As much of a downer as this book seems to be in that part of it, It's actually preparing the reader. He's been preparing the reader for where we are today, for this last section, for the end of the matter, so to speak. Because the truth is, like the preacher, I'm afraid to let go of the things that are providing my temporary meaning under the sun. Remember that term, under the sun, is is that, that, that worldly view, the view without God. But it's the things that we tend to cling to and the things that tend to keep us from enjoying the life that God has given us in the way that he has called us to enjoy it. We're prone to hold on to the things that don't matter. And I think you could probably relate to that as well. So where are we going with this? How do we live under the sun in a world that is, as he calls it, meaningless? Well, he gives us, I think, three, three things here, which is very convenient for a sermon. 
The first is reckless obedience. The second is rejoicing in all things. And the third is to remember our Creator. Chapter 11, verse 1 through 6 is is kind of a section here. And and what, what he starts off with is, Cast your bread upon the waters. You'll find it many days after. And give a portion to seven or even to eight. This is kind of allegory. It's, it's kind of weird. What, what's he mean by putting his bread out into the water? It's not something we typically do. But the bread, it, it, this is allegory language uh, of, of commerce and investing. Called to give, to give what God has provided, whether it's ourselves, whether it's our possessions, whether it's our good deeds, to cast those upon the water. And cast, it's not, not a careless casting, but an actual intentional sending. Think about what the business they had to do was much of the business was, merit was, was over the seas. So when there was investments happening, when there was business going on, it was put on a ship and sent out. And who knows when it would come back. It may be months. It may be weeks. Ships may not come back at all. There was a risk involved. Kohelet is telling us, with all of these things that we have learned, cast your bread, cast your possessions, cast yourselves upon the waters, cast your good deeds upon the waters. He says, for you will find it after many days. You do the casting, God will do the work. Now, is this, this is not a formula for you do this and then you'll get, you'll always get something in return. What he's saying is to cast it out and to trust. Cast it out and to trust God. And he goes to verse 2, give a portion to seven or to eight. This is a, this is a, uh, uh, a poetic way of speaking with numbers that, that we see. We see this in, in Proverbs 16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. It's used in Amos as well about how the Lord will deal with certain nations for three or four transgressions. Um, in this context here, give a portion of seven or eight is just to be generous, just to be just to be reckless with your giving, reckless with, your, with what you're doing, with what you're giving away. Give a portion to seven or to eight and to trust God for what he will do with it. And he follows up with this in, chapter, in verse 2, for you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. He's getting somewhere. He's saying, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. In other words, you have no control over what's going to happen. How many people invested in homes? How many people invested in cars all up the path of Ida the past few weeks and lost their dreams, lost their homes, lost lives, lost loved ones? The clouds were full and the floodwaters came and it didn't care. Ida didn't care who it rained on, who it flooded, who it destroyed, it fell. Thinking about trees, I've never had so many tree stories in my life until the last two months. And and really, even going back, uh, I think it was in spring, Christy and I were walking at... Tower Grove, or I'm sorry, Forest Park. It was a beautiful day. It was, it was similar to this. And we saw a bunch of police cars and, and kind of a commotion at the end of the street uh, going into the, to the um, off of Skinker. And 
we just turned around and left. We didn't know what was going on. But then we came back later and found out a huge tree. Some of you may have seen this. A huge tree actually just fell. There was no storm. This huge tree just fell in the street. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got killed. But, I mean, it could have been, it could have been devastating for some. And sometimes in a storm, you expect it. Um, another quick tree story. My, my, a, a friend's daughter was at a red light. I'm sorry, a stop sign. Just uh, earlier in August when this storm blew up, and she's sitting at a red light with her little brother in the car, and this tree just fell and totaled her Toyota 4Runner, just completely devastated. They're, they weren't hurt. But I, I've heard more trees falling this year, not to mention things that have fallen in my yard. The thing is, it's unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen. And then he says this in verse 4, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. How many of you are paralyzed by overthinking a decision? How many of you have waited and waited on making a decision because you just can't know if it's the right time, you can't figure out if this is what you need to do at this time? My coming to seminary was all about that. We had a pretty good life in Nashville and, and, and weren't planning on leaving. And I really felt the Lord leading me to come to seminary. Um, I was uh, taking part in some remote classes while I was in Nashville. And I remember meeting with a professor up here. And um, the, the way it went down was we were actually in the bathroom together. And um, so he knew I was kind of dealing with this call. And, and he said... Uh, um, I, I still remember, he, he, I was washing my hands, and, and, and he said, I think you should come. I think you should come to St. Louis. And he didn't give me a good reason. He said, I think you need to step out in faith and come. And that required us selling our house, leaving family, bringing our children, not having any jobs out here. And frankly, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. And I actually hated it when I came out here because it was so miserable. It was so hard for us. It brought a lot of uh, turmoil into our lives. And at the time, it was bad. But I can't be more thankful now that God brought us out here. God was working. And I, I couldn't stand there and be paralyzed by this anymore. I had to make a move. And I was thankful for that professor who went out on a limb and told me I should come. And then he says in verse 5, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you don't know the work of God who makes everything. God, referring to him again as our creator. God who makes everything. He says we don't know quite a few times in this passage. You don't know. Remember that you don't know how God is working. Remember, you don't know what's going to happen with the tree next door. Or the next storm that rolls through. Or an earthquake or whatever may happen. You don't know. Don't base your life. Don't base all of your decisions on what you think is going to happen or what you think is not going to happen. Because you're probably going to be wrong. But trust that God is in control. Trust that God is the one who is over all this. The one above the sun is holding all things in his hand. 
And he's the one we can trust in our decisions. So, verse 6. You could put so in uh, before this. So, in the morning, sow your seed. And at evening, withhold not your hand. In other words, just act. Just act. Now, you, you, you've known enough of Ecclesiastes. Now, he's not telling you to do things without thinking. But the point is to not overthink to not try to predict everything that's going to go wrong. He's saying, in the morning, sow your seed. In the evening, just throughout the day, don't withhold anything. Just act and trust God. Because you don't know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both will be good. And you don't know if they don't prosper, if that will be something God will use later to be a blessing to somebody else. God is shaping you, and he's shaping all of us in all of these events. He's telling us, don't try to figure it out. Trust the Lord. Derek Kidner, one of my favorite commentators, says, For if there are risks in everything, which there are, for if there are risks in everything, it's better to fail in launching out than in hugging one's resources to oneself. Think about the man that Jesus talked about. The land of a rich man produced plentifully in Luke 12. And what did he do? He thought to himself, I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods. You are in great shape for many years. Now relax. Get the wine out. Be merry. But what did God say to him? Fool. This night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So let's consider how Paul says to be rich in good deeds, brothers and sisters, to act with boldness, to, 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 to approach our lives with reckless obedience. Asking the Lord to help us to trust him because this has been a challenge to me as I studied this. How can I be more reckless in my obedience, more trusting that God has me? As we rest in our Lord's kingship over all the things, then we could learn to move on to verse 7 through 10, which is rejoicing. This is a call to rejoice. Kohelet says here, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. In other words, he's saying the focus here is on the eyes to see. It's pleasant for the eyes to be able to see. And, of course, it's always good to see light. He's saying it's good to be alive. Talking about our eyes seeing is talking about living, being alive. This is about life. And what he's saying is life is good. So verse 8, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice. Let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. And all that comes, reminds us again, is vanity. Let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. That your, your days of youth, your days of health, your days of getting around, running around are numbered. For all of us. Some of us we will be very healthy into our 80s, even 90s. 
But there comes a point where you start to slow down. He's saying to enjoy what the Lord has given you and also rejoice in it. And he even says it a second time. Look at that in verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. Now, he's telling you to follow your heart and your eyes. It almost sounds like he's, he's just saying, just go and have a blast. It's almost like, like hedonism, like just reckless pleasure. But he put some guardrails up. He's certainly not telling us to pursue all pleasures with, 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 without considering Obedience to the Lord, is he? No. Because he reminds us, but to know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. In verse 10, he says, remove anger or vexation from your heart and put away evil. It says pain. It could also be translated evil, and I I like that for, for the context. And put away evil from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. And in this context, vanity refers to temporary. Youth and the dawn of life are numbered. Those days are numbered. I like what another commentator says. He writes an essay on this this chapter, or on this passage, actually, and uh, on enjoyment. And he ends it with saying this, Enjoyment is a divine imperative. Enjoyment is a divine command. You ever think about that? God is telling us to enjoy the lives that he has given us. He's telling us to rejoice in the things he has given us. For one, to remember also that it's not going to last. There's a, there's a, a passage in the Jewish Talmud that's interesting. It's... Um, the Talmud was, I think, third century, a collection of rabbinic writings. And it says this, A person will have to answer for everything that his eye beheld and he did not enjoy or consume. A person will have to answer for everything that his eye beheld and that he did not enjoy. I know that's not scripture, but it's challenging to think about the things we allow to go by and not appreciate and not enjoy the things that God has given us to enjoy. He's given them to us for our pleasure and to use for his glory. But a part of that is in celebration and enjoyment of what he gave us. So maybe one of our maxims could be, when in doubt, err on the side of joy err on the side of enjoyment when we're not sure. I hope that we as a church can do more celebrating. COVID has really shut a lot of that down, and that's something we should lament. And I hope that we can soon come out of that to where we can enjoy meals together, enjoy one another's presence, see one another's faces. I understand why we can't right now, and it's hard. But I hope we don't lose that longing to enjoy one another, to rejoice together, to enjoy our times of worship together, and to learn how to celebrate with one another. May God help us to do that. 
Chapter 12, then, we, we move on from rejoicing to remembering. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. While you're enjoying, while you are in, this, in, in, in your obedience and reckless obedience and, and obeying the Lord and rejoicing, remember, remember also your creator in these days. This is, this is an imperative. This is a command to remember the Lord. How are we to do that? Because when we think about remembering, that, people think about that in different ways. Just remembering that we have a God, remembering that we, we have a creator. That's a little shallow compared to what he's talking about here. Um, hang on. Excuse me. I like what, um, I think he's from Yale. He's a philosopher, Nicholas Walterstorff. Um, he was actually in St. Louis a few years ago. I, I remember seeing him. But um, he says, remembrance involves consciously allowing the great acts of God, remembered in tradition, to shape one's perspective in the present. Read that again. Remembrance involves consciously allowing the great acts of God, remembered in tradition, to shape one's perspective in the present. Think about what God did in the Old Testament. He tells his people throughout the Old Testament to remember, remember, remember where you were, remember what I did for you. But he did it in more than just words, he had covenants. He made covenants with his people, and those covenants were, 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 were accompanied by signs. Remember the covenant with Noah. He put a sign, the rainbow, I will never flood the earth again. This is my promise to you. Circumcision was a sign that they could always look back on to know that God has chosen them, that they are God's people. Think about the feasts. Think about Passover. Passover, that feast that, that, that commemorates and reminds the Jewish people that God delivered them from Egypt. All the feasts have something connected to what God has done through his promises. Think about the sacrifices. The ongoing sacrifices throughout Leviticus are all about remembering and looking ahead also to the promise that God is preparing an ultimate sacrifice for his people, that God is supplying the blood sacrifice for their redemption, for our redemption. Always looking on those sacrifices and remembering the work of God and remembering what he is doing for us. He's providing redemption. New Testament, we see this. Baptism. Baptism, ways of we're remembering our creator. And by the way, speaking of creator, Kohelet wasn't thinking of, of, of this, of course, because... He didn't know Jesus. He was limited in his knowledge. But John introduces the Lord Jesus as creator, as the one who made all things and through whom all things were created. Hebrews, we're getting into that next week. Heir of all things and through whom God created all things. Jesus Christ, our creator. This is the one we are to be remembering in our time. Baptism, washing away the sins, the Lord's Supper, which we'll, which we'll have here soon. The giving of the Lord to us, of himself to us, 
the scripture with numerous promises and testimonies of God's people. Practical ways. We have art. We have banners. We have gatherings. We have one another. Ways that we remember what the Lord is doing. Ways that we continue to remember our creator and to remind one another. Now, he says to remind, to remember your creator in the days of your youth. And now he goes, this is a very long sentence, by the way. The rest of this chapter, or at least down to um, cha- uh, verse 7, is one sentence. And it's interesting, kind of the, the, the symbolism used here. He says, before the days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Do you see the image being presented here to us? That as these things are happening, we're seeing things darken. He starts off with light. Think about the light. It's good for the eyes to see the light. And now, after the days of our youth, he's saying, remember your creator before these things begin to happen. Before the sun, the light, and the moon, and the stars are darkened. And the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. You know, this is a symbol for legs, for arms. This is all believed to be related to the human body. A lot of it is. And the grinders cease because they are few. The teeth. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. Eyes. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. Our ears. When these things start to fail. And one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. Okay, I got some almond tree blossoms on my head. Gray hair. The whitening of the, of the almond tree. The grasshopper drags itself along, not sure. The desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken, perhaps wealth or, or, or um, success, um, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth. You see the progression. And now before the dust returns to the earth, as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. With what he started, he ends. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. He ends where he began, reminding us that in the midst of this, in the midst of these commands, reminding us that the only thing we have to hold on to are the commands of God, are our Creator the one who is above the sun, the one who made us, and the one who is holding all things together. And that creator said to us, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the needy. Sounds like reckless obedience. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Brothers and sisters, if your treasure is under the sun, that is where your treasure will be. That is where your heart will be. 
And the preacher in Ecclesiastes tells us that that will all be dust. And Jesus affirms that as well. Verse 9, he says, now it seems to switch here. It seems to switch from the words of the preacher to what sounds like a narrator. It could just be the way the preacher closed the letter, the, the, the book. But you see a little shift here. Besides being wise, now speaking in third person, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and upright. Uprightly, he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. The words of the wise are goads. Goads are things that prod. They use to prod animals. And words of the wise are prodding us. But they're also solid and firmly fixed like nails. They are given by one shepherd. This could be referring to God. My son, be aware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. I know some of you would disagree with that. Much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, then, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Remembering that God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So, he closes with commands, telling us how to live in our life under the sun so that we spend our life and all of our days with our Creator. Our Creator, Christ the founder and perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, rejoicing in the promise that was given to him, rejoicing and with reckless obedience going to the cross. Can you imagine when he went to the cross? All the people gathered around. This is so bad. This is terrible. How could this happen? And Jesus later told him, why do you think this is bad? This is how it was from the beginning. This was the plan from the beginning. That not only would I go to the cross despising the shame, but that I would be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That I may come for you and take you above the sun. And that life under the sun, although it is futile, although it is vanity, I will take you to be with me forever. Brothers and sisters, let us follow after our creator rejecting those things that will turn to dust and seeking the only solution. I think about the title, The Solution for Every Fool, and I think about the words of Paul. It says, we are fools for Christ's sake. Let us seek the solution for the fools of Christ and cling to him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy on us. Thank you for... Thank you for giving us yourself. Thank you, Jesus, that you endured the cross, that we may be with you. 
that we may have your spirit dwelling in us. Thank you for your word. Let us always be seeking you and clinging to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.